ministering to the world. Uh, we're, we're all together, but not quite the same. You know, we live, in, we live in, a, in a world right now where for some reason everybody's trying to homogenize everything. And uh, no such thing as diversity, even if it's in the Bible, like men and women, you know. People always say to me, now you're no longer Jewish. I said, well, and then I said, how do you know that? And they said, well, the Apostle Paul said there's neither Jew nor Gentile. I said, did you read the next part? Man nor woman? And they look at me and say, oh yeah, that's true. I said, we don't want to get that one confused, do we? And uh, I always love it, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm also from a generation where some, for some reason people always said, we're pregnant. Now, obviously, the guy who said that never, ever saw a baby being born, okay? <laughs> and so, uh, there are Jews and there are Gentiles, and, and it's not a division created by man, it's actually something created by God. I could give you my little quiz, which says, was uh, Abraham a Jew, or, uh, was Abraham a Gentile before he was a Jew? Now, let me save you the trouble. The answer is no. There were no Gentiles. There, there were only Gentiles when God created Jews. And so then he indicated that there were two groups of people. And each group of people, just like men and women, all have a purpose that God has apportioned to them. And this is really important when we're talking about world evangelism. And so let me outline it for you a little bit. So open up in your Bibles. This is my PowerPoint protest Sunday. Since nobody said you must have a PowerPoint, I threw it away, even though I have five different ones for this message. So, so uh, Romans 1.16, I'm just testing, Aaron wants to know how many people actually have a Bible. So anyway, take out your phone and open up to Romans 1.16. <laughs> Franz Dalich, a great Old Testament scholar, said, for the church to evangelize the world without thinking of the Jews is like a bird trying to fly with one broken wing. And it's really true. I and mean, when you see God's plan, it's spectacular, really. When you, when you look at it. Now, just so you, you know, and uh, I don't know how many Jewish believers there are here uh, this morning, but just to make it very, very clear, I don't believe that Jewish people get a pass because God chose the Jewish people. He chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, remember them? And, and the Jewish people are the chosen people. The question is chosen for what? If you think that the Jew, God chose Jewish people so that each individual Jewish person could be saved, that's not, that's not what was intended by the Bible. And so, just so you understand, I clearly believe that there's no other way for salvation outside of accepting Jesus. I can even use the Hebrew word, it's still the same message, Yeshua, without accepting Yeshua as Messiah. In fact, in... Uh, John 14, 6, with that famous I'm the way, the truth, and the life passage, he was speaking to Jewish people. No man comes to the Father but through me. Now that's, a, that's an exclusivity also that this world doesn't like. It makes us very politically incorrect. The most famous verse, of course, that I could quote, which I think uh, a lot of you have seen, especially uh, those of you who uh, watch sports, uh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, gave in sacrifice, that whosoever, Jews and Gentiles, believe in him, may not perish but have the gift of everlasting life. And so we understand clearly, and I just want you to understand it before we even begin, 
that there's no other way to the Father than through Jesus the Messiah. There's a, a famous Jewish philosopher, Franz Rosenzweig, who almost became a Christian. Almost, almost. And uh, it was uh, in the 1920s, and then it was the night of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And, uh, he was, and he was really thinking of accepting Jesus as his way of atonement that night. And uh, his mother questioned him about something he felt horrible, Jewish mother guilt, decided not to accept Jesus as his Messiah and just went to synagogue that night. Later on, he wrote a book called The Star of Redemption. And he said, indeed, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. But that's only written to those who weren't already with the Father. And so that's the idea behind uh, some of the Jewish community that there already is, through God's covenant with Abraham, a relationship between the Jewish people and God the Father. Therefore, there's no other mediator necessary. All we need to do is follow uh, Moses the best we can, and even if we don't make it, it's okay. God's gracious. Did you know that about Judaism? It's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. See, we argue you can't be perfect, therefore you need a savior. Jewish people say, well, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, there's 613 commandments. Try keeping all of them, you know? And so there's, a, there's an internal Jewish kind of, of, of grace which understands that we all will never make it. So the Jewish community does not believe that there's one way to the Father, that there's one mediator between God and man. And that's why you need us. Number one, as a testimony to lives transform when you discover that Jesus is the Messiah. And secondly, you need our help in bringing the gospel to the Jewish people. So I was just on the phone with, uh, now you're my supporting church family, you know, so I can let my hair down, which I already did a long time ago. <laughs> and and I, can, I can just share, I'm, I'm really excited about it. My, I have two daughters, uh, and uh, one of them got, the older one got married a uh, couple of weeks ago, which is really, really wonderful. And, uh, and she married the son of one of my best friends. So it was sort of a, an arranged marriage. <laughs> and the cool thing is, you know, in Jewish tradition, there is matchmaking, but it usually costs the father of the bride money. I didn't have to pay. So I, it was a heavenly arranged marriage, even though they've known each other since they were kids. And so it was a, a, a great wedding. And, and the, the father-in-law, who's my, my dear friend, and I have been discussing my message here that I was going to give to you, I'm giving to you, uh, this morning for the last day and a half by email and sending papers back and forth. And don't worry, I won't over-detail you. But, and, uh, and so uh, there was a, uh, one of his cousins at the wedding and I, I, I said, he, he said he lives in Jersey. I said, well, where? He said, he lives in Ridgewood, New Jersey. I said, do you know where Ridgewood, he's from Brooklyn. I said, do you know where Ridgewood, New Jersey is? He says, no. <laughs> I said, well, I do. I'm preaching there on Sunday morning. It was God's way of reminding me how important what I have to say to you this morning is. There are Jewish people who are your neighbors. I know you work with a lot of Jewish people. I understand that. 
but they're your neighbors, the kids go to the schools that you, your kids go to. And so it's really important this morning that you understand your role in reaching Jewish people for Jesus. Because without him, there's no hope of heaven. No hope. And so let's look at the text, Romans uh, 1.16, written by uh, a Jewish person himself, Paul the Apostle. When I first got saved, I read the New Testament and uh, understood immediately that Jesus was Jewish, which is part of what brought me uh, to know him. Uh, every Jewish person is raised understanding that the New Testament is a Gentile secret and that every Christian hates Jews, just so you know that. And so uh, I thought that the Apostle Paul was, and that Jesus was the, uh, the father of anti-Semitism and so on. So I was, I was really stunned when I started reading the New Testament. I kept looking for where he would celebrate Christmas. I was even looking for Thanksgiving, honestly. You know. And uh, lo and behold, he celebrated Passover and all these other uh, Jewish holidays. So it slowly dawned on me, actually, that Jesus was Jewish. But I got saved and was walking with the Lord probably for six months and was reading, I'd read the New Testament twice, I think, within my first six months. And then, I, but I, I, didn't, I didn't get the fact that the Apostle Paul was Jewish. I mean, what kind of name is St. Paul? How Jewish can that be? <laughs> you don't see a synagogue named St. Paul's Synagogue. So, but he definitely is Jewish and had a deep burden for his own people. Now, I'm not going to give you the whole argument of the, of the book of Romans, but this passage is one of the pillars of the book of Romans. And uh, I can give you a, a really quick uh, summary of an outline of the book of Romans, and, and you don't have to pay for this. You can just keep this and use it. So Romans 1 through 3, sin. 4 and 5, salvation. 6 through 8, sanctification, spiritual growth. 9 through 11, all about Israel. 12 through 16, exhortations on living the Christian life based upon the doctrines presented in Romans 1 through 11. Good one? That works, right? Okay. Now, there were people long ago who felt that Romans 9, 10, and 11 was an a parenthesis in Paul's theological thought. So Romans 9 through 11 was sort of over here, you know, his own personal concern about the Jewish people, and the major doctrines were in Romans 1 through 8. They were wrong. Every Calvinist knows that because you can't even be a Calvinist without Romans 9 through 11, okay? That's for you Calvinists. But, but Romans 9 through 11, it's all about Paul's theology or understanding of the role of Israel in the plan of God. And if you don't understand Israel's role in the plan of God, then number one, you're losing a good portion of the Bible. You know, the, the thick part's all about Jewish people, just... Just saying. But Romans 9 through 11 is built on Romans 1.16. So let's read it. Let's look at it for a little bit, and then we'll, we'll keep moving. So Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Very simple, very simple. And for a lot of people, uh, you know, we moved through this quickly, but uh, I know you believe in the authority of the, of the Bible. I hope you believe that every word is inspired by God. 
written by the Holy Spirit through the men and women that he chose? Okay, there we go. Good, you're still the same Grace Church, that's good. Good, good work, Aaron. Okay, and so you believe that. But sometimes we're not sort of practical when it comes to uh, understanding that. But I, I'm actually going to, because I'm only going to speak on one verse, I, I'm going to have you look at it, okay? And so let's look at it for, for a moment. Uh, so it starts with, I am not ashamed. Now, why in the world would Paul even say that? Uh, well, number one, he was, he was persecuted a lot by his fellow Jewish people. And so maybe he was made to feel bad about believing in Jesus. But what's, what was his shame? that he didn't have. Some people actually translate it and say, for I am bold. Well, that's, that, that's interpretive translation. It's I am not ashamed. Well, not ashamed of what? Well, put it this way. Both Roman and Jewish culture were power cultures. The Jewish people believed in the coming of the Messiah who would overthrow the Romans, take on the throne of David, and Israel would become the head and not the tail, as predicted over and over again by Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so it was a, it was a power culture, particularly when it came to the Messiah. So now Paul believed in a, a Messiah who came and died in that, and in that he is a failure. Now, if the Jewish community had believed that he rose from the dead, then they would have been believing in Jesus. But all the Jewish community in the first century understood was that he died. And so, Paul, you're running around preaching about this Jewish person who claimed to be the Messiah who's dead. You should be embarrassed, ashamed. And then you have the Roman culture. And they were a total power culture. Their gods didn't die, their gods ruled. And so Paul is just coming right out and, and saying it, because sometimes we read the Bible in our own context, which is okay, but first we have to understand it in the context in which it is written, then apply it to our context, correct? So Paul was not ashamed, even though the two major communities that he lived among, the Jewish and the uh, Roman community, would make him feel that he was a real loser. Paul was saying, oh no, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news. It's not just that somebody at work is making you feel bad, although that doesn't feel good, ever. It's not even that my family, for the last 47 or 48 years, 48 years, that I've been a believer, have been constantly telling me, although they've stopped, they stopped about 15 years ago, I think, have been telling me, you're not Jewish anymore, you're not Jew, uh, but my wife is Jewish, you're still not Jewish anymore, my kids are Jewish, they're still not, they're not really Jewish. Why? Because you believe in Jesus. But we celebrate Hanukkah. Hey, listen, if you don't celebrate Hanukkah, and you're Jewish, and you're a Jewish believer, you're losing out. <laughs> People always want to know which holiday I celebrate. I said, are you crazy? Christmas, you get one present. Hanukkah, you get eight. <laughs> do what I do. Celebrate both. You get nine. <laughs> That's just advice to the Jewish believers in the church. 
And so, yes, sometimes people try to embarrass me about, about, my, about my faith in Jesus. Because you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. You know, you, you, you tell somebody something that's not true, drip, 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 over 40 plus years, you know, it doesn't, you know, doesn't feel, feel good. But Paul was not ashamed, I'm not ashamed, and you shouldn't be ashamed. Ashamed of what? Ashamed of the gospel. In other words, believing that the good news about Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, rose again, ascended into heaven, and is returning one day soon, that good news, that once you believe in that good news, a life can be absolutely transformed from the inside out. That's something not to be ashamed of. People will say, you're a simpleton. How could you believe that faith in a message like that is going to change my life? You need to deal with politics, the economy. You need to, well, you know what? He's Lord over all things, but mostly, once you get your souls straight, then it'll change the rest of your life. Now, everything written in Romans 1.16 is in the present tense. Now, I, I, was, I was brung up in the New York City school systems. And, and so I, I didn't learn English grammar till I had to take Greek in seminary. And that was really pitiful. Uh, but he's not ashamed of this good news. Why? For it is the power of God, the power of God. You know that Greek word, dunamis, dynamite. I think that this word came before the dynamite, just so you, you know. But it is the power, the explosion of God that transforms lives. You know, when, when, when I became a believer, uh, I, was, I came from a very nice Jewish home, but I had, well, I went to college and majored in unregistered pharmacy. Okay, and I minored in marketing. <laughs> Get it? But I was living in Middlesex County at the time, New Jersey, so that we know how deficient Middlesex is. So, so anyway, so I was known, <clears throat> I had this reputation. And, uh, and so after I became a, a believer, I hadn't been drug-free since I think I was like 13 and a half years old. And so I became a believer at 19. And I woke up the next morning after I got saved, and I never touched a drug again. I feel bad saying that because we just had a retreat at Keswick, and I understand that a lot of people need a program and a lot of help. I was, a program would have been hopeless for me. And when I came back from California where I got saved to New Jersey and started sharing the gospel with people, nobody would believe it was me. I was, felt like the blind man in John 9. You know, no, really, it's me, you know. And they, they would listen to me witness and they would say, by the way, you have any drugs? That's, it was hopeless. But God really transformed my life. Really transformed my life. And... I understand what the power of the gospel is because in that one little incident 
of becoming drug-free, I, I, I didn't have the self-discipline to do it. But he did it, and he turned me around from the inside out. Now, I don't know what it is with you. Could be anything or a number of different things. But if you don't know it yet, I'm telling you that the gospel can transform you. Change you totally. And it did for me. So the gospel is, is the good news unleashed. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And it's to everyone who believes. All we need to do is call upon the name of the Lord and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and we will be transformed and end up in heaven. Now you tell me the downside of that one. That's our message, isn't it? Listen, brothers and sisters, when we talk about missions, I could complicate it. I lead a Jewish mission, you know, all over the globe. I could complicate it very easily. If anybody's inclined afterwards, I can go over a few spreadsheets with you, you know? You know, because we're dealing with about 11 currencies each and every day. It is complicated, but actually it's not complicated. The gospel's not complicated because it's the power of God for salvation. And it's the message, it's the gospel that changes lives that we're communicating to Jews and Gentiles across hundreds of different languages in many different ways. But it's the same gospel that transforms. Now here's where it gets a little controversial. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So uh, today I'm here to transform your, uh, your missions uh, program by telling you that you are not allowed to witness to any Gentiles until you witness to all the Jews uh, in uh, Ridgewood. So, so get started. No football today. Well, these, these interpretations go all over the map, but when we're talking about world evangelism, this is where it's so important because we never said that the gospel is to the Jew first and not to the Gentiles. It's to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. But you see, there's nothing new about that. That's the way it's always been, actually. In fact, if you look at God's plan for the ages as a symphony, it has at least three movements. In the beginning, God said to Abram, that he was going to make him, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless thee, curse those who curse thee, and through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God chose Abram to bring blessings to the world. Paul argues in Romans 3 and in Romans 9, where he completes his argument, he argues that the blessing that God gave to the Jewish people is now being extended to the Gentiles and that the crux of those blessings are the word of God, the promises of God, and the Messiah of God. And so God chose Abram to be a blessing to the world. It's interesting. When God needed something done, he didn't create a new organization. When God needed something done, he created a child in Sarah's womb, miraculously. 
And he called Abram to be a blessing uh, to the world. So what does it mean that the gospel is to the Jew first? Does it mean that it was to the Jew first? Because that makes sense, right? It was to the Jew first. Well, there's a problem with that one because the word was isn't in there. Remember what I said about taking this, picking on every little word, you know? You're not going to go away and say, Glazer was okay, but he picked on every word in the Bible, you know? So it's not that the gospel was to the Jew first. It's the gospel is to the Jew first. Why? Because the symphony isn't over. We've only had the first movement where God created the Jewish people to bless the world. Admittedly, we did not do that well. However, there was a small group who did bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so we should get credit for that. <laughs> so it was to the Jew first. It is not was to the Jew first. It still is to the Jew first because everything in Romans 1.16 is in the present tense. So you can't say, I wasn't ashamed of the gospel. It wasn't to everyone who believes. It, wasn't, it was the power of God. It is the power of God. It is to everyone who believes. It is to the Jew first. And also to the Gentiles. And so we have to accept it in that way. Well, how did the Apostle Paul view it? Well, what did he do when he went to every new town? He started in the synagogues, didn't he? That's because he was looking to win popularity contests. So every place he went, the Apostle Paul went to the Jew first. Why? Because he wrote the verse. He, unlike me, did understand grammar. So the gospel is to the Jew first. He wasn't really speaking about what happened in the past. God gave promises to the Jewish people that they were to communicate to the Gentiles. Jesus came. The Jewish people didn't really embrace him, but lo and behold, surprise of surprise, it started with Cornelius and a movement was created. When I teach the book of Acts, I subtitle it, How Did a Little Jewish Movement Get So Big and So Gentile? Because it was the plan of God. Dear Gentile brothers and sisters, you're not an accident of grace. It was always God's intention for you to be here and for you to participate in the promises that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the first act of the symphony was God gave these promises to Israel that were to, and the Jewish people were to bless the nations. But then the second part of it is guess what? The Jewish people said no, the Gentiles said yes, and now the gospel is still to the Jewish people. Whose responsibility is it? Ah, guess what? Y'all. And so the gospel is to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. So in the second movement of the symphony, the Gentiles are supposed to be reaching the Jewish people. Paul also wrote Romans chapter 11, verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall. Little Greek, that means permanently. 
They did not stumble so as to fall. May it never be, but by their transgression, the national rejection of Jesus in the first century, salvation has come to the Gentiles. To do what? He adds a purpose clause. To make them jealous. Who's the them? I'm part of the them. And so in the second great movement, in light of Jewish rejection, Gentile acceptance, God has called the Gentiles to reach back, make the Jewish people jealous, and the gospel is still to the Jewish people first. Now before you get nervous, let me compare it to Matthew 6.33. In Matthew 6.33, the same Greek word for first is used. Some people argue you can't simply take a word from Paul and a word from used by Jesus and say they mean the same thing. That is true, but in this case they do. So what is it? Well, in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God, right? And all these things will be added to you. You know that verse? If not, you know the song. So seek first the kingdom of God. Does that mean if you're looking for a house, you should stop? Does that mean if you lost your keys? I'm using a personal example. If you lost your keys, does that mean if you lost your cell phone, something really important? Do we stop looking for whatever we're looking for because we were told to seek the kingdom of God first? Of course not. Because in the uses of this Greek term, if you look at any grammar book, it says there are primarily two different ways to use the word first. One is sequential. First this, second that. The second use is a use of priority. In other words, no matter what you're doing in life, what you're seeking, you should always seek the kingdom of God first. The kingdom of God should be a priority for you. Now, when you go out into all the world to make disciples of all the people who these lovely flags uh, re represent, and who all of them actually do live in Brooklyn, just so you know. <laughs> you don't need a passport, just come. We even have the United Nations two blocks away from our Manhattan office, so you can, you can start there. And so, we can preach the gospel to the entire world, but we must never lose sight of God's plan for the Jewish people because he's not finished with the Jewish people yet. This same Apostle Paul who wrote Romans 1.16 and Romans 11.11 wrote Romans 11.12 and 15. Just listen. If their transgression is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? And verse 15, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be? Listen, but life from the dead. So what's out there? What's coming? I'll tell you what's coming. In Romans eleven twenty-five, Paul says, when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, all Israel will be saved. Have you heard that before? Romans eleven twenty-five. What does he mean by when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled? I'll tell you exactly what he means. He meant 
Gentile missions is on the clock. You see, there's a phenomenal urgency to reaching out to the world. Why? <laughs> because it's a symphony, brothers and sisters. It's, it's, it's a plan. It's not like, you know, sometimes we think that history is kind of wandering aimlessly all through, all through the years. Don't, don't you understand? History has a goal. We're not just wandering aimlessly. God is biding his time. God is not out of control, though it seems that at times the day is coming when Jesus will return and he will establish his kingdom. He will keep the promises. And the capital of the world will not be Brooklyn. It will be Jerusalem. We'll just export bagels to Jerusalem. <laughs> so it's important for Christians who love the Lord and love the word of God and are concerned with the salvation of, of people from every nation. We need to ask ourselves the question, how much time do we have to do this? When Jesus left, he gave us a job. Go into all the world and make disciples, didn't he? And sometimes we're just so overwhelmed. You think Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah are going to give you a lot to do. We are so overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. We need to rise above it, see what God has said about his plan, look at what's coming next, and move with it. Missions is the heartbeat, not of the church. Missions is the heartbeat of God. God has called us to go into all the world and make disciples. And one day, that role for Gentile people will be done. When will that happen? Probably sooner rather than later. That's why I love some of what uh, some of the translation ministries have done. One of my friends is a leader of the seed company. And they've, done, they've, they've brought together a coalition where they are determined to translate the Bible into every language that doesn't have it yet. There is a sense of urgency, brothers and sisters. There's personal urgency because one day your friends, relatives, and neighbors will die. And if they die without Christ, they're going to hell. Jew or Gentile. That is urgent, isn't it? But then we also have a world that is moving towards the second coming. And if people do not meet Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're going to meet him as judge. And that's what's going on. So why should we witness the Jewish people? Well, because Jewish people are linked, the salvation of Israel is linked to the second coming of Christ. And if you want to see Jesus, witness to your Jewish neighbor. It's as simple as that. But I'm going to tell you, and this is a missionary to the Jew and a, a, and a Jewish believer, I'm telling you, get busy with the Gentiles. Lord knows we are. We're a to the Jew first and also to the Gentile group. 
with our online ministries this past year, we had over, almost 5,000 Jewish non-believers send for an Isaiah 53 explain book. 5,000. You ever try following up on 5,000 non-believers? We've just developed an online video web-based discipleship program for seekers because we can't even, we, we have 100 missionaries, we can't even touch it. What I need to tell you, along with the 5,000 unbelieving Jewish people, we had about 6,000 unbelieving Gentiles. <laughs> we can't handle the Jews, never mind the Gentiles. It's time to put the Great Commission into action. Don't forget the Jewish people. The gospel is still to the Jew first because when the Jewish people come to Christ, Christ returns. But we need to be reaching out to both. One closing little story, which I, I love, which really puts it all together. But then don't get up and leave. I have to share one more thing with you. There's this wonderful story about John Wilkinson, a, a, a Gentile who was a missionary to the Jewish people in London on the, on the very poor Lower East Side of London, who founded a Jewish mission. And he was good friends with another missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor. Anybody know who he is? He's the founder of the China Inland Mission, which is now OMF. And so every, every January, during the first couple days of January, Hudson Taylor would send a five-pound check to John Wilkinson. And on the little note, he would say, to the Jew first. <laughs> and then Wilkinson, the next day, would send a five-pound check back to Taylor and say, and also to the Gentiles. <laughs> That's the way it needs to be. Jews making Gentiles jealous even those of us in Jewish missions, I don't ever want you to think that we're not sharing the gospel with Gentiles. It's to the Jew first. It's our focus. But Gentile missions is on the clock. And if Gentile missions are on the clock, then Jewish missions is definitely on the clock. You know why? It's a good thing. Because Jesus is coming back. Now, Take out your brochure for a moment. Unfold it. And this is the tradition of the tearing of the brochure. It's very easy. Just unfold it at the count of three. We'll all rip at the same time. I'll count in Hebrew. Count after me. All right, here we go. Echad. Okay, that's the tough one. I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, try one more time. Echad. Perfect, you see? Shtayim, shalosh, rip. <laughs> I can't w wish I was here to see that football game. Okay, so, all right, keep, keep the large portion of it. Now, take out a pencil or a pen. It's an ancient writing instrument that you used when you were in, in grammar school. So. Take out a pencil or a pen and begin filling this out. And, and I'm not testing your penmanship, but if you fill this out and hand it at the Grace Connect table, we're going to send a chosen people missionary to your home 
once a month for dinner. Okay? And uh, let us know what night you're, you're eating pork chops or whatever, and we, we'll, we'll negotiate. But, but put, fill in your name and address, because we, we would love for you to get our newsletter and other kinds of publications so that you can pray for us. Um, and put in your email, obviously. Uh, we send it out both ways, and then you can choose somewhere along the line within, within a few months. But please fill that out. On the reverse side, if you check, tell me about short-term opportunities with chosen people, we're going to invite you to come to the Holy Land during the last week of July, first week of August, to share the gospel on the streets of Brooklyn with us. If you can witness to the Jewish people in Brooklyn, it's kind of like a, a swing at a lead bat for the suburbs, you know? So come, come join us. So short-term opportunities. And then uh, we have tours to Israel and all sorts of other things. You can check those as well. But this is our way of, of connecting with you and pray about what God might want you to do. We'd love to have some of you come from Grace and make sure that I'm working and, uh, and come see what, what's happening. On the back table, we've got bunches of resources. Uh, two I'd like to recommend. Uh, one, it's never too early. This is the Gospel and the Passover and it will show you how the Passover points to Christ. It will also help you show how to use the Passover to share the gospel with a Jewish friend. So that'll be on the back, and it does have recipes. So, <laughs> Isaiah 53 Explained. This is uh, a book that I wrote uh, for my brother-in-law, who still won't read it, but, but a lot of other people have. And uh, it's, I think it's in 14 languages, and we've given away or sold 200,000. And uh, I haven't won an award for it yet. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, maybe because it's a very simple little book. <laughs> and so, but this will be on the back table. This is the book you want to give to a Jewish friend. So that'll be on the back table. So read it, give it away. We have plenty more. Let's pray together.